Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter. We are still in Romans chapter 8. We are walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17 this morning. If you have missed a week or two, I encourage you to go online to our website, alomachurch.org, and go to the media section, watch the videos, get caught up, because everything that we've been talking about, everything that we've been dealing about is leading us up to a certain point, so you don't want to miss a week. I know we have many people traveling right now, many people on winter break and, and off and, and not feeling well with a change of weather, but I am so excited that you chose to come worship with us this morning. Please stand in the honor of reading God's Word. Romans chapter 8, begin reading in verse number 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, I pray as we've been worshiping you, Lord, that we will continue that act of worship by opening our heart and hearing the word from you today. We ask these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, please be seated. Two things and only two points this morning. Number one, how we live does matter. How we live does matter. This is what Paul begins to say in verses 12 through 14 of what we just read. How we live matters. Paul compares the dual nature, living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. And he tells us, we who are believers, that we are saved, that, that we are to live in the spirit and not to live in the flesh. When we live in the flesh, death is the result. And we have a choice. Remember what we said last week. When you are in the Spirit, when you are saved, you have the choice to live for your flesh or to live for the Spirit. To live in bondage and slavery to sin or to live in the Spirit, which is life. And Christian, when you sin, do good things come out of that or do bad things come out of that? When you start gossiping or say something you shouldn't or you cheat or you steal, is it good or bad results? You say, well, pastor, actually, I, it, it helped me get ahead. Cheating on a test in school, I wouldn't advise that, but cheating on a test in school, it helped me get a, a good grade. Or, or cheating on a business deal, an improper business deal, it helped me further my career. But did that really help you or did it hurt you? Cheating yourself by not studying for the test will rob you of knowledge. Stealing or improper business deals may make you more money that will rob you of decency and moral obligation and ruin your witness to the world. You see, sin always results in the negative. It always does. You give me a sin, I can show you how it will lead toward death. It hurts you. It also hurts the lives around you. I hope you understand that when you sin, you're not just hurting yourself, but you're hurting your marriage, you're hurting your children, you're hurting your parents, you're hurting your friends, you're hurting others. Sin does not just affect the one sinner. It affects everything. It harms and it hurts the people around you. You see, that's the thing about death. Sin results in death, and that's the thing about death, that it hurts those closest to you the most. Sin breeds death. But Paul says, instead, 
We as believers should not sin. We should not continue to live in sin. Instead, we should choose life. Verse 12, we are debtors. We understand this word debt very well, don't we? Especially in our country where we're trillions of dollars in debt. We're told that, that we will never be able to pay off the debt that we've accumulated. We, we think of debt as something that, that we are obligated to pay. The word debt in the scripture and what Paul is referring to here, that when he says we are debtors, that literally means that we are under obligation. Now, I want us to think about what that means and what that, the, the implications are here. Some people say that we are debtors, meaning that we've received salvation from Christ. Therefore, we are to serve and do whatever we possibly can uh, to serve God, to pay him back for what he has given to us. That's all wrong. Yes, you should be serving the Lord. You should be giving him your heart and, and your life and, and yielding control of yourself over to him. But let me, let me clarify something. You cannot pay God back for what he has done for you. You, you cannot, you're, yes, we're indebted to him. We are debtors. We are under obligation. However, what Paul is saying here is that it's not us that that is is paying God back but what we are doing how we are debtors how we fulfill the obligation is to allow ourselves to be used by the Holy Spirit for the purpose that God so chooses do you see the difference it's not me choosing to do things for God it's me yielding control and saying God here's my life here are my resources here are the gifts you've given to me now use me for your glory it's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We have it on the screen. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. You didn't do anything to get saved. That's what Paul is saying. You didn't do anything to get saved. It's not a result of works so that anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Underline this which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This tells us that God is not interested in the good that we can do. God already has a plan and a purpose, and it's for us to be instruments in his hand, to not simply find good things to do, but to seek God and ask him what he wants to do through us and with us. God, would you want me to teach? God, would you want me to serve? God, would you want me to give? Where, God, do you want me? And when you find the place that God wants you, now ask him for the strength to, to fill you so that you can accomplish his will. That's freeing, isn't it? That the obligation that you and I are under can only be accomplished by the one in whom we are indebted to. The point is we cannot pay it back, and he doesn't expect us to. That's the beautiful thing. The obligation, the debt that we are under, all God is looking for is exactly what we did at salvation, a willing vessel who surrenders his or her life to the Lord. You see, that's what Christian life is all about. That's how it begins. That's how we are to live. That's how we are to end our life, to be willing vessels surrendered to the will of God, living in the Spirit. Last week, we began talking about the spirit-filled life. And I shared with you that, that uh, it, it's a misnomer. A lot of people think that to be filled with the spirit means that we get more of the spirit. That's wrong. You cannot get more of the spirit. To be filled with the spirit does not mean that you get more of the spirit. It means that the spirit gets more of you. 
the, the spirit-filled life is surrendering control, surrendering every area of our life unto the Lord. That can be hard sometimes, can't it? That can be difficult to, to surrender my marriage, to surrender my, my children. I am of the generation of the helicopter parents. You know what the helicopter parents are? We hover over our kids. Now, that's not a bad thing. I mean, we don't want our kids to go play in the street. However, helicopter parents, and I'm one of them, we need to listen. You understand that you can make your kids your God. We must see our children as they are meant to be seen. Beautiful gifts given to us by God, but they are the Lord's. Some of us make our marriage, some of us make relationships, and we, we, we put too much respect and too much uh, focus on these relationships, and so they become our God, and that's what we yield control over to. That's wrong. And we wonder why our, our, our life and our spiritual walk with the Lord is all wrong. It's because we have misplaced focus. Here in verses 12 through 14, he introduces to us what it means to, to, to walk in the Spirit, to be Spirit-filled, not in our power, not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. That's great, Paul, but how do we do that? How do I attempt and, uh, attempt and, and do great things for the Lord? What is God's plan for me? How do I discover God's plan for me? Well, first of all, it's through Scripture. As we consider the word of God this morning, if you look carefully and seek to know God, I challenge you to go to his word. This is God's word to you, his holy word. The spirit of God will lead you through this book. And let me make a caveat here. He's not going to tell you to do something that is contrary to his word. He's not going to speak to your heart and to tell you to do something that the word of God tells you not to do and vice versa. He's not going to tell you not to do something that the word of God instructs us to do. The psalmist said, thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The spirit reveals his will to us by the word of God. But not only by the word of God, he also reveals his plan to us by providence. By providence, divine providence. Arranging our circumstances and our situations in life. Romans 8.28, I promise we will eventually get there on Sunday morning. It may be four months from now, but we will get to Romans 8.28. And it says, for he is working all things together for the good to those who love him. Oftentimes when you're serving the Lord and trying to discover his will, he, he just places his will right in your lap. You're, you're, you're sitting there and praying and praying and praying, saying, God, help me to discover your will. And then his divine providence and the circumstances of life. And it comes out of nowhere. When he called me to preach, I picked up the phone and he said, Wesley, I'm calling you to preach. And I said, sorry, God, you got the wrong number. It didn't happen like that, but close. You see, something that you don't know about me, when I was 17, I was saved at 17, called to preach two weeks after I was saved. And when he called me to preach, I was the most shy, introverted, bashful individual you have ever met. In fact, I could not stand in front of three people and say, Mary had a little lamb without my face turning blood red, getting embarrassed. And so when he called me to preach, I thought it was hilarious. 
You want me to stand in front of people and talk? Uh Uh-uh. You got the wrong person. I believe that God opens doors. I believe that God closes doors. But if we're listening to the Spirit, he will lead us to the exact plan he has for our life, even though it doesn't even make sense. The word of the Lord says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will, what church? Direct your path. You know what that word direct means? This is a picture verse. It means that you come against a wall. God has given you his plan. You come against a wall, and, and he says, I want you to cross over that wall. And you say, this wall is too tall, and I don't see any doors. It's like getting a call to preach when you are the most bashful individual in the whole world. God, that's impossible. There is no possible way I can preach. There's no possible way I can fulfill what you've called me to do. I was facing a wall. There's no doors. I can't climb that high. I can't get over. I can't do this. He says, I will direct your path. That literally means that he will cut away where there is no way. That's what that word means. It means when you're faced against an impossible situation, if it's God's will for you to do it, that's the point he wants you in. Because when you're facing impossible situations, that's when God provides a miracle. He will direct your path. He will open a door where there is no door. He will direct your paths. And and understand, I am no one special. What he has done for me, he will do for you. When he calls, now he may not call you to preach. He may call you to do a million other things. But I want you to understand this one important thing. God has called you for something great. And don't get me this garbage, I'm too old. I'm sure glad that Moses didn't say, well, I'm too old. Or Abraham said, I'm too old. Or, or Paul, at the end of his life, he, he didn't say, I'm too old. Aren't you glad that Timothy didn't say, I'm too young? We use age all the time to, 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 to reason why we can't do great things for God. No, if you're alive, and I truly believe this, if you are alive and God has placed air in your lungs, he has created you to do something that no one else can do. Go and do it. Go and fulfill your mission in the vision that God has given to you. I'll tell you another way how you can discover God's will for your life. Not only through the Spirit and and through reading the Word and divine providence, but, but also affirming us with peace. When God calls you to do something that is so outlandish that you don't it doesn't make any sense, He will give He will give you divine peace. When you are faced and, and He is leading you and, and you come to a big life decision. God in his spirit will give you divine peace to know that even though it doesn't make sense, he's leading you in this way. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. I met a family not too long ago. They're here right now. God called them to move from another state, actually all the way across the country. And they shared this with me a few months ago. They just recently joined the church. And they said, Pastor, we don't understand why God called us to Florida. We know no one. We have no friends here. We have no job here. We don't have, we know no one here. But we know that God has told us to pack up from our successful lives where we are and told us to move here. And it makes absolutely no sense 
than the Father said. But pastor, there is a peace within our spirit that this is the right thing. You see, dear friend, when God calls you to do something that does not make sense, he will give you peace within yourself to know that, yeah, there's going to be bad things that happen. Yeah, this isn't going to make sense. Yeah, people are going to talk about it. But you see, the Bible is chock full of people who stepped out in faith. God gave them peace, and they attempted, and they fulfilled, and they did great things for God. You know what the church is lacking today? You know what this world is lacking today? Christians who who are willing to take a step of faith. We want everything calculated. We want everything to make sense. But listen, in the supernatural, spiritual realm, things don't make sense. And he's not going to do the supernatural unless we have the faith to take that step first. And when we take that step of faith, God will bless us. If he's leading us to do this, we take that step of faith. He will bless you, and he will bless others because of that. We're faced against impossible situations, but we trust him. How we live matters. Secondly, how he loves matters even more. How we live matters. We we, we don't live in the flesh. We live in the spirit. Verses 12 through 14, that's in the nutshell what he's saying. How we live matters. Second of all, he says, how he loves matters even more. Look at verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How he loves matters. And you know what his love does? His love, first of all, it casts out all fear. His love casts out all fear. Fear is a major problem for many people today, especially Christians. People are so afraid. Did you know that they have an encyclopedia dedicated, a dictionary dedicated just to phobias? Full of phobias. I looked it up. There's all these phobias, fear of everything. There's acrophobia, the fear of high places. Claustrophobia, the, the fear of, 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 of closed places. There's agoraphobia, the, the fear of open places. There's octophobia, the fear of the number eight. There's argophobia, that's the fear of work. Many people have that one. There's also phobia phobia, the fear of fears. This is a legit one. There's politicophobia, the the fear of politics. I I don't have a fear of politics. I'm just tired of them. We chuckle, but but fear is real, isn't it? And there are people here today within the sound of my voice who are watching online and you are so afraid. No one even knows the fear that you're experiencing because you are so afraid you don't even express it to the closest people around you. We're told here in the Bible, verse 15, that we that God did not, when we came to know Christ Jesus, the Savior and Lord, God did not give us a spirit of slavery which will cause us to fear. Some here will say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, I, I thought that we're told that we are to live in fear. Understand there are two types of fear. There's a holy fear, and then there's an unholy fear. Yes, we are to live in a holy fear, a fear of God. We are told over and over and over that we live in the fear of God. 
that doesn't mean that we're shaking and quaking in our boots. That, that means a reverence unto God, okay? A, a holy fear, a holy fear. It, it's, it's a posturing, a, a prostrating of, of oneself. It's how we were to respond to God. That's the good kind of fear. It's not shaking, it's not worrying. Fear, a holy fear, it's reverence unto God. But then there's the unholy fear. This is what Paul tells us. He didn't give us an unholy fear. He's not talking about the good fear. He's talking about the bad fear here. When we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he did not give us the unholy kind of fear. Unholy kind of fear often raises its head as a result of worry. I heard about a man who worried all the time. He literally worried about everything. There came a time in his life when he said, I have got to stop worrying. It is literally killing me physically. And, and he, he found a lot of serenity and, and calmness, and people began to notice. In fact, he was sitting in his barber chair, and, and the barber noticed this man and said, man, every time you used to sit in here, you always talked about how you worried about this and worried about that and worried about this. He said, what happened to you? Why don't you worry about things like you used to worry about them? And the man said, well, it's simple. I hired a professional worrier. The barber said, a professional worrier. The man said, that's right. I, I, I pay him a fee and he worries for me. He worries about my bills. He worries about my business. He worries about my family. He worries about everything that used to worry me. I don't worry anymore because I got this guy. And the barber said, well, that's pretty cool. How much does a professional worrier cost? And the man paused and he said, well, about $1,000 a day. And the barber, knowing the man, he's cutting his hair. He said, well, son, he said, sir, you, you can't afford that. And the man said, oh, I'll let him worry about that. <laughs> you know, we have a father who's faithful. He provides for every one of our needs. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. But I know that I'm talking to people right now, and if you weren't worrying about something, you wouldn't know what to do with your time. You worry about everything. You worry about this, you worry about that. Some of you are worrying right now, aren't you? You're worrying what we're going to have for lunch. You're worrying about school, about work, about relationships. You're worrying about marriage. You're worrying about whether or not you remembered to put the garage door down when you left the house this morning. If you weren't worrying about that, you are now. We worry. Do you know where worry comes from? It comes from fear. Worry is rooted in fear of the unknown. And your Bible tells you here in verse 15 that, that when we are saved... He did not give us the spirit of slavery, which results in fear. In fact, did you know that when you worry, you're sinning? Worrying is a sin. Do you know why? Because at the very heart of worrying, you're not relying on God. If you were truly relying upon God and his provision and direction, then we would not worry. But you see, many of us have this deep-rooted sense of fear. You have an unholy fear of being left out, of being made fun of, of not having enough money, of not measuring up in the eyes of someone else. 
We have these deep-rooted fears, and when something occurs to, to test us of those fears or, or shakes those cages that, that are inside of us, those fears get woken up and we get startled, and it sends signals to, to our dead flesh to begin sinning and to begin worrying, to stop trusting in God's provision, to stop focusing on God and to begin start focusing on the problem. For those who fear and worry, and that's all of us, what we must do is surrender those areas that contain us, that control us, and surrender those areas to the Lord. If you're worried about your kids, that means you're making too much of them. You have to let it go. If you're worried about your marriage, listen, you can't control that. You need to turn it over to the Lord. You're worried about the person you're going to meet and marry. You can't control that. At least you don't need to. You need to let the Lord control that. Stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about money and, and, and all this stuff. God is our heavenly Father who loves you. If he knows how to give good things to the bird of the air, how much more? If he can clothe the lilies of the valley, how much more? You see, worry and fear are interrelated, and they cause us, they cause us to sin because we stop relying upon God. When you begin to start worrying, pause and remember these words. Trust God. Begin to pray. Quote and memorize Scripture. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love, or the love that God has for you, that's perfect love. Perfect love casts away all fear. Remember and claim the verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The love of God casts away fear. It also tells us that we are his. The last part of verse 15 says that we cry out, Abba, Father. You see it there? The Bible here says that we are adopted into the family of God. And because we're adopted into the family of God, we are his children. This refers to uh, our salvation experience, but more than that, it speaks of our status with God. Christians are not illegitimate children. No, we are adopted into his family. Therefore, we can cry out, Abba, Father, Abba is the most intimate term you can call the father. It means daddy. It means papa. God is not a father who's uninterested and far removed from us. He is our daddy. He is our father. Look at verses 16 and 17. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. We were just talking a moment ago about fear the reason why so many of us carry around fear in our lives is because we don't know who we are in Christ and what we possess in Christ. As a Christian, you're a joint heir with Jesus. You're an heir with God and a co-heir with Christ. Here in these three verses, 15, 16, and 17, we have just been called, you and I who are Christians have just been called his sons and daughters, his children, now heirs. This means we have a position of privilege. We're not entitled to it. We didn't do anything to earn a seat at the table. We're not his natural children, but we are adopted. 
We are his adopted children and thus his children nonetheless. Can I tell you that adoption is the most beautiful thing? If you are adopted, physically adopted, that is the most beautiful thing that I can imagine. Because you know what that means? It means that someone chose you. Someone loved you enough that you were not theirs. And they chose you to be a part of their life. And legally, you are now their children. You are now their child. That's adoption. And can I tell you, that's the picture that, that God says we are. When we were lost in our sin, yes, we were created in his image, but we were not his children. He chose us. He chose to love us. And he brought us in. And legally, we are now his children. We are adopted part of the family, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. And what you do with your life matters. As your pastor, I want to see you succeed. I want to see you attempt to do and accomplish great things for God. But as your brother in Christ, I want to see you flourish. Because when you flourish, I flourish. When you flourish and your marriage flourishes and your family flourishes, my family flourishes. The person behind you's family flourishes. We rely upon each other. Because you see, my inheritance is your inheritance. What, what we're all working for is one mission, one goal, one purpose. At least that's what we should be doing. Not focusing on things that don't matter. The, 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 the things that are over here and over there. Yeah, you're going to get hurt in church. Grow up. I'm sorry, grow up. Life happens. Some of my deepest hurts have happened in the church. But also, many of my greatest victories have happened in the church as well. We have to lay the past in the past and trust the Lord for where he is leading us tomorrow. We, we come together as the church, fulfilling the vision and the mission that he has told us to do. And when we do that, we are building the kingdom of God. That's our inheritance. Stop thinking this is all about you. It's not. It's all about them. People who aren't here yet. See, that's why you hear me say over and over and over again here at Aloma Church, we center ourselves on Jesus doing whatever it takes for people to experience life change. We exist for people who aren't here yet. Our desire is to see lost people saved, and then when we, get, when we see them saved, to see them discipled. That's the Great Commission. To see lost people saved and save people discipled to go outside of our cells, outside of our walls, and see lost people saved, bring them into the kingdom of God and begin to disciple them. Whether that builds a Loma or that builds a church in Cuba or that builds a church in South Korea or, or Mexico or another church in Orlando, we're not here to build our own personal kingdom. We're here to build the kingdom of God. And this is the point of the text. This is about the time in the, the service where, where I stop and I say, now take out your pen and paper and let me give you five takeaways on how to discover what God has for you. I can't do that today. Because you see, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you what God created for you to do. I can't do that. 
Only the Spirit of God can do that. Now, I've given you examples earlier in the message on how you can discover God's will through, through relying upon His Spirit, through reading the text, through, through praying, through being around God's people, through believing in the providence of God, taking steps of faith, all of those things. Yes, that's how you discover God's will. But I cannot tell you what God's will is for your life. I know what His will is for my life. I know that he's told me to walk through a wall where there is no door. And that gives me a challenge. It gives me a step of faith. Because what we're up against, what we're up against, the world says, is impossible. Revival is impossible. To, to see this country turn around, to see it swept with the Spirit of God, they say that's impossible. Well, I love impossible situations because we serve a God that takes impossible situations and makes them possible. What is your part of that puzzle? Where do you fit in to that puzzle? 